it's happening again. Welcome to How's Annie, the Twin Peaks podcast that delves deep into the woods. I'm your host, Charlie Ashby, and returning with me is my amazing co-host, Emily Lind. How have you been, Emily? I've been good, and I'm excited to be coming back to the podcast and coming back to Twin Peaks. Yeah, well, um, some people might not know this, but we've been trapped inside the lodge since last year, right? Yeah, it's been it's been a long year, just sitting in chairs, staring. Yeah, having coffee. Sometimes it's sludge, sometimes it's nice. Uh, a bit of gum on a stick talking to us. But no, not a not a very good conversationalist. Not really. Not yeah. Not really. I mean, the floor the floor keeps collapsing, so that's frustrating. Get somebody in. <laughs> no. Speaking, speak, speaking of getting people in. <laughs> wow, good segue. Um, yeah, not that's not just all. It's not going to be me and Emily by ourselves anymore. Joining us as a full-time host is our wonderful friend, Mickey. What's up, Mickey? Hey. Nothing much, mate. Been just uh, hanging out in the lodge. Uh, yeah, because you were there as well. Yeah, I like to climb up to the weird uh, stone balcony thing and like look down into the ocean that goes on forever. That's, pre- that's pretty fun. On that big... Uh... <laughs> Space Kel, God knows what. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just take the air. Yeah, breathe in. Talk backwards. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I've been practicing. I can't talk backwards that good yet. Okay, say hello backwards. Ole. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> we should do the whole. We should do an episode completely backwards. Oh my god, that would be so annoying to listen to. What's that backwards though? Someone... <laughs> Can we edit that? Like, put that in backwards there, and you know, it'd be sort nah. of... No. Can you? Yeah, <laughs> I think you can. If you... guys, don't. guys, if you can hear us talking backwards now, that proves our point. Um... <laughs> Why don't we just pretend we're talking backwards? <laughs> Or, like, maybe, like, you're slightly a little bit Russian from what that sounded like. Let's talk backwards in Motherland. Let's talk backwards. Spasiba. <laughs> One shot of vodka. When I was younger, please would talk to you over the woods. Hola. What? What, what the hell is happening right now? Uh, this is we are so out of practice. We are out of practice. Speaking of out of practice, the last time we did our show, we just finished season three of Twin Peaks. And that oh was a, yeah, and we all had mixed feelings about that though. We did how do we feel now? That's a good sort of start off point, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> stop asking for approval. <laughs> I still get a little. I still get a little bit angry when I think about it. Just yeah, a little bit. I, I think I was still like riding the high of season three when it ended. So I was just like, I, at the time, I was like, I don't care. It was great. It was so good. And then, like, the more I thought about it, the more times I watched it, the more kind of let down I felt, I think. So over time, I've become jaded. Uh, I love it more. <laughs> if that. Uh... Wow. It's gone the opposite way. Yeah. I still love it, but. No, yeah, like, I, the more I think about it, as a, in terms of, like, you know, the current state we're in, like, thinking backwards, 
you know how often you want to... I think it's kind of ironic that... Oh yeah, but we should sort of preface this a bit. Uh, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Twin Peaks Season 3, get out of here. Um, also, what are you doing <laughs> listening to this podcast at this point? <laughs> yeah, not a good idea. Um, I think it's kind of a beautiful like symmetry between the fact that Lynch and Frost are delving back into the past with Twin Peaks, which is something that, you know, those guys don't really do, like go back and make sequels or such. And the, the, that similarity between them going back and changing things and Cooper going back and changing the past. Is it for the better? Yeah. Like, I feel like that's a sort of... Um, that's The whole of that final episode is kind of like a commentary on the fan, the split of reaction that we had and other people had. Like, is Cooper going back in time and stopping Laura from dying? Like, jumping in the shark, is that um, a bad thing? Or is the whole of season three a bad idea as well? Because like, I know a few people that said season three was a bad idea. Um... Well, I don't know about that. No. No, no, no. I thought season three wasn't a bad idea at all. There was so much that I loved about it. So much. And the whole experience of getting to watch a new Twin Peaks season and seeing it episode by episode and coming on and doing this podcast with you guys. Like, there was so much about the experience of having the, that thrill and mystery of Twin Peaks that obviously all of us missed when it first came out. I thought there was just so... It, a lot of it was good. And and there were lots in the story. Not just the experience, but lots in the story that I loved and that were, that were great as well. Just, you know, I, I feel like with everything that Lynch and Frost do, there's always just, like, a little sheen of, like, oh, that was unsatisfying. A bit like life, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. And also time travel, or going back in time, rather, is always problematic. And I feel like years and years and years of popular culture have told us that and not one of us has ever <laughs> taken advice from years of popular culture telling us that going back in time is a bad idea. I mean, I've never personally gone back in time, so... <laughs> no, but if you had the opportunity to, don't you think that there's like a wealth of knowledge that we've been fed over our entire existence that tells us it's a bad idea? Yeah, but you might get to see, like, dinosaurs and shit, and that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, but then you could step on something or accidentally kill something or change the course of time and not even exist. Yeah, but then what do you care? Because you don't exist anymore, so then it doesn't matter. I mean, you might have fucked things up for everybody else, but... <laughs> I mean, I got to see a dinosaur, so I feel like oh, wow. maybe it's worth it. <laughs> Emily, I'm really worried about your moral quandary. Like, Yeah. Are you okay? I've always maintained that if there, if Jurassic Park was real and there was like a 50% chance that I would get killed by dinosaurs if I win, I would still go. Wow. Oh my gosh, no, 100% no. Definitely not. Yeah, no. For me, anyway. Yeah, I don't want to die, particularly. If it was absolutely, like, if you got the ticket and you were told on the ticket, 50-50, you'll come out alive. 100% no. Wouldn't go. Definitely not. Also, I feel like any world where Jurassic Park was a real thing would be boring after the first also We also have like six Jurassic Park films that tell us that Jurassic Park's a bad idea. What are we doing? Oh, no, I know. (laughs) I realise. That's why I'm saying there's probably a 50% chance I would die. But the lure (laughs) of dinosaur is strong enough that I I would take that coin. 
I don't, I don't know because the, the arg- I, I feel like the argument is always, but if dinosaurs were around, of course you'd see them. Like you would never get bored of them. I'm like, yeah, but lions are around and they're fucking awesome. I don't want to see one right now though, to be honest. And they're still endangered. Yeah, like I don't. We don't care about those. Uh, yeah, but like going to the zoo is like yeah, fine. Oh, I love the going rhino. to the zoo. I love it. Okay, well, Mickey's different. She you don't want to see, see a Park. rhino. I want to see a rhino. I yeah. always want to see a rhino. Once you've seen one, it's like, you know. It's a perpetual state of being for me. Constantly wanting to see a rhino. <laughs> <laughs> what are you up to, Mickey? I, just, I don't know. Nothing. I just want to see a rhino. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the dinosaurs, I think once you see them, you've seen them all, ain't you, really? Absolutely no. not. I think. But no. they, oh, I mean, I'm t- I'm totally on Emily's side. Also, like, if I could see also, a dinosaur, I, I would. I haven't. I just want to be one. safe. I haven't seen one. So <laughs> if you have, you've been to a museum. I've seen skeletons. That's a person. That was a thing oh, once. Seen, that's a person. <laughs> that's a person. You don't go to I've a museum and see a, a mummified a skeleton and go, "Oh, sorry, dear Dream, I'm going to shit about you anymore because you're just a pile of bones." Look, that actually, okay. that's a hundred percent accurate. Yeah. Like, who I, actually cares yeah. about Deirdre? I do. I love seeing dinosaur bones. Like, I go to the museum and I see the giant dinosaurs, and I this is the coolest fucking thing ever. The only thing that would be cooler is if I could go see an actual dinosaur. And I can't believe yeah. we're still talking about dinosaurs. I did not mean to derail <laughs> Listen, the podcast so Charlie, much so early. Char- <laughs> she just wants to see it with its skin on, Charlie. Jesus. Yeah, but real dinosaurs had feathers. Okay, that's not delve into the ridiculous idea that they were just completely lizard-like. They had, but they, they had, also had skin. They have skin. They're skin yeah. on. Under feathers. Skin on. Feathers are on the skin. It's the epidermis, Charlie. Get with your science. <laughs> it's the epidermis, Charlie. Do you, do you think, it's the weirdest do you think comeback I've ever had. Skin? Sorry? <laughs> do you think chickens don't have skin and the feathers are just like stuck into its flesh? No, I did. I'm saying that they're not, they weren't just skin. That I didn't say argument. it was just skin either. I just said Emily wants to see it with its skin on. <laughs> so let's talk about literally anything else. How about Twin Peaks? Good idea. How about we talk That's about a great that idea for a, a Twin Peaks podcast. Um, <laughs> so if you listened to us last time, you know that we went through season one and two pretty much really quickly, like an overview of those seasons, because we wanted to dive into season three. And each episode... And also, I wasn't part of that, so... That, that's true. We hadn't met you yet, Mickey. Just throwing that in. No. Um, that's throwing me off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was the point. And then, uh, to throw you off. and then we sort of delved into each episode of season three as it aired, and you saw our reactions, obviously, after the episode, um, and how our opinions formed and changed over time. This season will be different. Um, this new season of the podcast, we're going to be delving into the entire catalogue of Twin Peaks in chronological order and try to crack all the mysteries head on. That means talking about specific details and big plot points throughout the entire story. So if you haven't watched the show or read any of the books, uh, come back later. This is a big spoiler warning to all you folks out there. Like, beep, beep, get out of here, come back later. Beep, beep. You'll like it. <laughs> Charlie. Oh no. Hey guys, just a heads up. Beep beep. Get out of here. <laughs> oh Charlie, we do love uh, you. 
I didn't know it was going to start this early. <laughs> Us just being total bitches to Charlie? <laughs> yeah. I had no idea he'd give us this much material to work with so early on. <laughs> he's still, uh, he's oh, Charlie, go on. Go still on, go on. He's still with us, guys. He's <laughs> still listening. Okay. Emily, go. Tell us what we're doing. <laughs> okay, okay so first up, we are doing The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. This was written by Jennifer Lynch and is set before the main series, following Laura from the age of 12 years old until she was found dead, wrapped in plastic. The book itself was actually released in 1990 after the first season of the show aired and gave a deeper insight into the character of Laura while also, well, also providing subtle clues to her killer. Yeah, because this book actually came out before the second series, didn't it? Yes. Yes. So no one knew who the killer was. They did not. Well, Lynch and Frost probably did, but I well, guess yeah. we're not counting and them. Jennifer. <laughs> yes, and Laura Palmer. And Laura Palmer, yeah. Um, this book is really fucked up. <laughs> it's, oh man, guys. It is so effed up. Yeah, like, we... We were talking before we started recording. Um, we've all read the book before, obviously. Like, I read nope. the book. For the f- oh, no, you hadn't. Nope. You hadn't read it yet? Nope. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, me and Mickey read the book before. I read it in 2013. Yeah. I had actually had time to pre- to process it the first time I read it. I read it, I think, like two or three years ago. So I've had time to like process it. And then going back into it, I'm coming in listening to it again with like a more expectant mind so I became less shocked but it was still horrible <laughs> if you know what I mean but I, oh man Emily I'm sorry I tell you what though like Emily I, wanna, I really want to I'm really interested in your thoughts now then like this is the first time obviously you know this character so well but what were your thoughts on reading this book for the first time and sort of Seeing Laura in a in a light that we don't really get to see anywhere else. You know, it's definitely it was it was interesting. I wasn't I wasn't expecting something this weighty. I mean, I know it's Twin Peaks, but in the back of my head, it's like yeah, but it's it's a tie-in book. And so, I was sort of I was shocked with how how really like full on it is. Like the de- the descriptions of of the, the the sexual stuff and of of Bob's mm. assaults are I mean they're really detailed and it's it's quite disturbing especially if you're not expecting it oh totally so imagine I think I, yeah. getting your daughter to write that at 22 okay like, actually I actually David was going to ask how how old she was when she wrote this she was 22 when she wrote that david lynch and mark frost asked her to write it or i don't know maybe she asked to write i don't know i don't know the story but she was 22 years old like how do, where does that come from like how do you i i don't know man it's dark it really is it's very very detailed yeah and it's so like i know like we were just saying she was 22 years old like my age i know that i couldn't personally write something of that scale and it's so well written and as a yeah as a book like the way that it delves into that whole horrible 
the disgusting part of it. Like it's so well written that it could. It's clearly about you know like in the show. It's not particularly. I mean, we, there's all weird stuff happening in the show. It's supernatural. But if you read the book and you had, like, been abused or raped, it's clearly a metaphor for that, right? The, 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 like, the, <laughs> the, <laughs> sorry. I lost you guys? The, the, yeah, no, no, I know what you mean. I know what you're trying, I know what you're saying. Do you mean that the, Oh god, what's it called? Like the supernatural elements are a metaphor. Yeah, like Bob itself, the whole um thing, it's a, it's clearly like a metaphor for like the repressed memories and like I'm I'm just saying like if you had been through that experience, perhaps like, you know, abuse, sexual abuse from a family member, you could probably yeah. relate to Laura's uh struggle. The way... I tell you what, it, the the way that she talks about it in her diary, the way that he that Bob's Bob speaks to her, and the things that he says are very in line with things that you tell yourself if you've been through that. If you know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. There is there's definitely his voice in in the book, especially does represent a lot of that, like in a in a war that you fight within yourself, but in the show. Not so much. In the show, it is sort of played off as very much he is a supernatural being that has his own agenda and own personality, and it doesn't really quite represent what he is in the book. This like I felt, I felt, it felt that he was a different. It was a, although I was aware of him being his own supernatural being and his own thing, and because because of the first season, you have context of Bob when you read him in the diary. But, but it comes across more as almost she's saying it to herself in a way. You can you can see it. Yeah, I think it was interesting as well. Is that obviously like even in the show, there's the um, the metaphor for rape and stuff in there as well. But reading the book, there's kind of well, for me personally, there was there was two sides of it. Like you said, he clearly feels more of a realistic person as opposed to this demonic threat. But at the same time, it's interesting to see how... Because Laura's like only 12 years old when she first talks about it. And even when she dies, like she's only, what? 17. 17 years old. So mm. it's a young person's... Like, trying to... Pro, it's pro, she's processing what's happening to her. And of course, it feels more realistic, and, and it's, but even then, nightmarish because we see like the nightmares she has, and then she starts, she finds difficulty in remembering which of these events are nightmares and which of them are her repressed memories. You know, in terms of of the feel of this book, it feels to me anyway like the sort of vibe I got of it feels more in line with Firewalk with me than it does with the show. Yeah, I agree. Completely. Yeah, I think so as well. And even, I guess, season one has a more of a... Even though there is these weird supernatural elements, they're, mo they're mainly about Cooper. There's still an element of realism in the murder. Yeah. 
That do you think that? Yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry. And I was just going to say, do you think that because Firewalk with Me and the Secret Diary from Laura Palmer are Laura Palmer centric, that it has a completely different, like almost darker, more tragic feel to it? That that could be because the show, even even when the show is dark, there's that underlying kitschiness to it yeah where we get cooper responding to just sort of the weird goofiness to the town yeah but in in the book we have laura who has grown up there so accepts all of the like weird people as just like part of it all and it's it's so personalized, so there's no there's no outsider's view here. It's just it's just yeah. Laura. Yeah. I tell you what though, like it's interesting to see the characters that we know from her perspective mm-hmm. or like her version of their because it's almost their backstories as well. In in very sort of distant in a very distant way, like especially Bobby, like I, I have a completely or had a completely different opinion on Bobby after reading The Secret Diary because she basically, I mean, what I think is that she basically turned him into this awful kid that he is now. Yeah, she emotionally abused him, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. It almost... He was... And actually, to sort of tie those two points together, like and what you and Emily said, I think... Definitely this book and also uh, the film, Fire Walk With Me. Fire Walk With Me is kind of Laura at the end of it all. So it, naturally it's very dark. And even the book... Well, it's her last seven days, isn't it? It's her last week alive, isn't it? Laura, um, Fire Walk With Me? Yeah, exactly. But even the book, like it's not completely dark, but you see the gradual... Um, like The gradual sort of pull it all has on her. I feel like at the beginning yeah. of the book, when she's younger and more sort of innocent, um, the repressed memories are far more repressed than they are later on. And the more Bob starts getting at her, and the more that yeah. I think Laura tries to arm herself against him by kind of delving into all the stuff that clearly isn't helping. Um, or maybe it does in its own way. Maybe it does help in its own way. Uh yeah. The more she gets into the drugs, the more she gets into the uh, prostitution, the more darker, yeah. obviously, the world gets for her, and the more we see that sort of firewalk-me world. So, yeah, and I feel like, like, like you said, like, Bobby, like, there's something innocent about the fact that he's pulling on girls. Like, it's annoying. Like, and <laughs> Bobby, don't do that. Um, but he's 12. He's 12, like, yeah. There's an innocence about little. it. And then, that's how boys are at 12 and they even, do pull your hair and they burp in your face and they you know try and push you over or they you know they, they do they throw things at you like they just do that that's what boys are like yeah, he's still just a kid you can't blame him for being an asshole at that age if you know what I mean because he wasn't no that's absolutely that's what I mean yeah like and even her like yeah. she's kind of like oh what a what a loser sort of thing because it's that sort of young attitude but the more she grows up with this like obviously, like adulthood is thrusted upon her via the horrible, horrible stuff that's happened to her. 
And yeah. she processes that by, I have to be more adult. You know, adults do this, this, this. And it's that sort of mentality that keeps going on. And then the more she tries to push Bob away, it's like it, 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 he is consuming her. Her personality is... like There's these moments in the film, like when she's with uh, Harold, where she does turn. And it's frightening. And I feel like her relationship yeah. with Bobby is... Um, is a big example of that. The way that being with her meant that he ends up killing someone mm-hmm. as a kid, and that's pretty dark. And you know, he ends up with Shelley out of this whole like messed up relationship. Like Laura's got her hands and everything, basically. And you can't really feel bad for either of them, really. Like Shelley and Bobby are both in these abusive relationships. And they find each other and sort of, you know, work out their own little thing. So, like you said, it's interesting to see how Laura affects all the other characters in the show before the premiere. Well, what's interesting is that after season three, you realise that Bobby's sort of come full circle again. Like he had this, he was sort of this innocent-ish, sort of maybe misdirected, maybe a little bit naive kid who falls in love with the wrong girl who laughs at him and makes him feel like nothing and then he ends up killing someone and becomes this sort of like thug who then abuses his girlfriend and you know and goes off the rails a bit and sort of loses it and then he sort of ends up becoming a policeman and then starts doing good again it's just it's just interesting to I'd forgotten the whole Bobby part of the secret diary until I listened to it, to it again recently so it was so nice to have to see a full character arc for him now yeah and I think as well what I love about Bobby is that um, even back in uh, the original show like when he talks to Dr. Jacoby about it and he breaks down because he is like it's a, yeah. it's a front mm-hmm. it's a front to Make him look like the bad boy that Laura wanted, when really deep down he's got a heart of gold. I think, and yeah, I think it's it's she just she she uses or used sex with him as like she no she didn't use it. It was just sort of like nothing to her because at that point all of her sexual experiences had been horrendous, and so. I guess because she took his virginity, yeah, and then when he was like, "Oh, I love you," she like laughed at him, and it. I think that's like it just sort of like broke him, and I, it's just it's really interesting to see that she's in her own small way doing the same thing that Bob had done to her, to him. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And she's just using him as a for the drugs by the end of it. Yeah. Oh, totally. He is a vehicle for her to forget about or to uh, suppress the things that are upsetting her and ruining her life. And he's just a vehicle for that. Emily, what did you think about um, some of the the major characters that we know and love in the show? Obviously, we talked about Bobby Briggs, but... Um, like Donna and the Log Lady have pretty big presences throughout this book. I I really like the stuff with the Log Lady a lot. 
I mean, partially just because, I mean, you gotta love her, and so seeing her <laughs> in any form is fantastic. Yeah. Um, the Donna stuff just made me really, it made me really sad. Um, sort of watching that friendship fall apart because she she couldn't she didn't want to drag Donna into the things that were happening to her but it also meant that she couldn't relate to Donna anymore I don't know it's it's really it's it's heartbreaking yeah because like seeing how close they are like at the start of the diaries and how much they like adore each other and and knowing what's to come it's i don't know that really it really affected me yeah especially yeah. the like the background details of like the first time they smoked together it, and it reminds you of the uh like later on in the series where Donna starts trying to be a bit more like Laura and I we said this before on the show like I feel like the more she wears the clothes and uses the cigarettes and the, the glasses of Laura it's like imprinted on those fabrics like Bob's tampering and she becomes a much more darker and sexualized character um which is freaky right like the whole idea that it can spread um for nefarious reasons i guess yeah it's it's like it's like a coping mechanism though it's sort of like doing whatever she can to keep this whatever memory of her friend alive and if that's like embodying part of her then she's she'll do that but by accident what she's doing is she's actually keeping like the worst parts of her friend alive she's not actually sort of like honoring the memory of Laura herself she's honoring the sort of like emotionally distant hypersexualized version of Laura which is yeah it's like Bob's dirty fingers just like hanging over everybody's heads yeah, exactly. She never really saw the heart of Laura. She just used the coping mechanism. Yeah. And I feel like with James in particular, Laura mentions uh, going into the bar and seeing that picture of the uh, the motorcycle dude and like imagining a good, kind-hearted guy to look after her. And he, he's not even really mentioned that much in the book, which I thought was kind of funny. Um <laughs> They're like for his, from his point of view, he was such a big deal, but obviously, well, you could see it in the way that like her diary was for the things it was full of the things that she couldn't the horrible things that she needed to let out, yeah, so like mm-hmm. her time with Bobby, her drugs, her smoking, Bob, all of that stuff, and by putting um James in there, it might be sort of. Her, uh, sort of like signing him away into this vault of things that hurt her but really he is one of the only things that makes her happy or takes her away apart from the drugs from the awfulness she's experiencing so maybe she doesn't feel that she has to put him in her diary because he 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 doesn't need to be in there I think like if we talk about like just from the start of the book and how 
Because the book starts off quite positive, like it's um, Laura's birthday. She's just oh got... no, it's lovely. Yeah. She gets the diary and um, yeah, she opens it and I forgot how abrupt it pulls your heartstrings and makes you feel kind of sick in your stomach. And I've got obviously the little section yeah. here where she talks about and it just says, "P.S. I hope Bob doesn't come tonight." <laughs> like yeah, it's like an immediate yeah. gut punch. Yeah, it's yeah. a kick in the gut. I think as well what what, what really um, makes it worse is that I think Jennifer Lynch did a really, really good job of writing uh, as a 12-year-old, if that makes sense. That sounds yes. really weird. Yeah. But, like, but like the things that are important to you at that age are important to Laura at that age and it changes as she gets older and you can feel her in her writing style getting older and it's really unusual because, like, I don't know about you, Emily, or Charlie, really. Um, I used to keep a lot of diaries when I was that age. I'd write a lot, talk about all the things that I was feeling. And I just, it reminded me a lot of, well, not the dark bits, sorry. <laughs> but, like, the, it just reminded me of a lot of the things that I used to write in my diary or things that I found important. So it was, like, an immediate way for me in particular to just be completely sucked in. It was totally believable. Well, yeah, and even just like even just sort of the the structure of it, like all the exclamation points and stuff. Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. And the weird, like short but meaningful sentences, just sentences that were like barely describing anything, but it's just like th- that was everything. <laughs> like no, like long lamenting, like huge paragraphs of prose that you write when you're like 14 or 15 but like at 12 it's like oh I did this thing and it was good hope Bob doesn't come tonight like it was just really I don't know it just felt so believable I think as well it's also interesting obviously because Laura's 12 years old and the diary is, is channeling her journey from 12 to 16 it's the beginning of like adulthood and um processing uh puberty and uh like Oh, yeah. Sexualization. So I thought it was interesting. And in some parts, I think she does a really good job of explaining, like, you know, like when you're younger, and you're trying to deal with the world, like Laura's way of doing that. And obviously it gets darker. In fact, but also it starts off a little bit darker as well. There's a moment where um, early on she talks about a dream, in quotation marks, she had with Bob. Oh, yeah. And it's it says that... Um, then I had to look down because there was this heat between my legs, not nice warm but hot. It burnt me and so I had to spread my legs open so they were cool. It's these... Because it's the way that she describes it almost like dreamlike. And then the more she gets older, she knows what it means. Yeah. Um, what did you think about... That's exactly what... Yeah, oh, sorry. sorry. No, you go on. I was going to say that's exactly what I was talking about when I mean like short sentences, like just describing what it is because that's all it meant at that age. Not like, cause later when she talks about the sec- the sexual stuff, it's like, or Bob in general, it's like way more descriptive, but it's still just as disturbing reading the 12 year old and all the younger stuff because it, it, you can read it in that voice and it's scarier I don't know. Anyway, sorry, I don't know if that made sense. Yeah, I think as well, as she grows older, like you said, as she grows older, obviously, 
she's more descriptive and understands what's going on. But there's also sort of a bravery there as well. Like she, like when you're younger, you're scared to say stuff in case you're being like, like she says, like I'm, I don't want God to tell me off for having these thoughts. Mm. Um, the older she gets, the more, the more she starts to fight against Bob. And you can tell, obviously, he's not happy about that. Um, obviously, in the show, we know that he's definitely not happy about it because Bob tries to find the diary. Um, he reads it um, when she's quite younger still. And she has to hide it for about a year. The pages obviously get ripped out and stuffed away in the toilet door. So, yeah, like the, it's interesting that she uses that she sort of grows out of the uh, the fear a little bit by trying to weaponize it with the diary itself, which is why it's such a big deal that they found it in the original show. Yeah. What did you? Yeah, but what did you guys think about that sort of you know the growing pains of like you know adulthood? Um, the way she describes it at certain points, because obviously we've all we've all been through that. Um, awkward moment where you're starting to learn about stuff. You know, um, what did you think about that as compared to the actual sort of um, grooming and manipulation of it all? Emily, well, it's 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 interesting because I think it sort of it shines a light on just how devastating that that sort of grooming is because you're already at such a a vulnerable age uh and i think i mean i don't know i can't i can't say this but i think really especially for girls who tend to be taught that you know like sex isn't something that you're supposed to be interested in like we we get you know that 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 boys are are sexualized in that way and that you know like that's what boys even at a young age are interested but girls don't get that same like oh well it's perfectly natural for you to be like thinking about sex and so you already can be very ashamed about sexual thoughts and so when you you add in abuse it it becomes so muddy and so hard to separate and I don't know, it's really, like, that stuff was really harrowing to read. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, there's, it's kind of heartbreaking that Laura ends up trying to use... It It feels like all the time when you read the book, she, she desperately tries to cling on to any good feeling. So with Donna, she has that good feeling of, like, being friends with her as a child. Then she finds out that she doesn't have the exact same uh, fantasies as her. And so she pushes that away. That's done. 
the drugs. She needs the drugs to have that good feeling. And then even the sexual encounters, there's that um, moment in the book where she talks about her first sort of big sexual encounter with like the three guys and Donna. And like she, the way she writes it, it's almost like she's trying to make it sound romantic. And then um, because at the time it's it felt so good for that moment, it gave like it took her away from the whole ordeal she's struggling from. But then she writes retrospectively that same sort of day that looking back it wasn't like a dream. It wasn't a dreamy situation. It's, it's these creepy older dudes taking advantage of kids. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, I... it, it's interesting to see her reflect on those moments as well. She's not stupid. Like, yeah. She understands that obviously what's going on isn't completely right. I think it's interesting as well that she... I like your idea of her trying to hang on to these good feelings because that becomes more, like, that gets bigger the longer, like, the further into the book you get when she starts the Meals on Wheels thing and she starts tutoring, um... God, Johnny? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that his name? Yeah, she starts tutoring Johnny just because it makes her feel like a good person. But then even that becomes tainted as well. Like, I don't know, She's you're, you're right in saying that she goes out of her way to just try and cling to these good feelings because they're getting less and less uh, uh, apparent in her life and there's bigger gaps in between good feelings for her. I think it's... I think it's like it's safe to say we all know who killed Laura. Um, <laughs> like, when you read the book, did you feel like the hints towards um, Leland were interesting enough? Like, in the actual book itself, there's these moments where she can't tell whether it's a... There's a moment where she talks about a dream she had. And at the t- at, when she writes it, she says, oh, it's a dream. But obviously, as a reader, post what we every all those other seasons and what we know, was it a dream? Oh man, I don't know. I think it's hard to 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 really appreciate the hints dropped in the book when you you go into it, no matter what, knowing who killed her, if you know what I mean. Unless you read the book, unless you're experiencing the Wolf Twin Peaks chronologically. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I get you. I, yeah. It, it's hard to remove yourself from that knowledge and look at it completely clean. I think if I, if I had, you know, if I had been watching Twin Peaks as it came out and then read this book... I think I would have suspected Benjamin more than anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I yeah. suppose so. The whole buying the horse as a kid and paying more attention, and then the horse sort of dying as a warning. I think that that's obviously yeah. like contextually that book was released before season two, so it's it's there to give you a few. I'd like 
you know, it's trying to not make the idea solid who did it and put some examples out there. But even then, looking back, these characters aren't saints. Like, we laugh about, you know, Benjamin and Jerry being these crazy characters, but, you know. Yeah, there was the whole brothel. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're not completely innocent. Not at all. Especially when, yeah, like, even Jerry slept with Laura as well. Yeah. I mean, that that's the thing about... the. Di- that's the okay, so that's the thing about Twin Peaks. That's a really good difference between Twin Peaks and, like, some of the other um, Twin Peaks canon material, is that the show itself, it does, through Cooper's eyes, it does show this sort of very goofy town <laughs> in a way like this it's really there, there are clearly some dark bits as well but like what emily was saying earlier like even some of the darker characters are all seen through this lens of sort of kitschy americana like i don't know you forget that that ben and jerry are are quite as awful as they are even though in the show you know that he's slept with laura in the second season, you find that out. And then you know, you, you find all these things out about them, but you still sympathise with them. You still, like, laugh when they do things that are funny. You still... But really, like, Laura's Secret Diary is, <laughs> like, a one long list of reasons why you shouldn't like lots of people <laughs> and how dark the town really is. It is a bit of a wake-up call, because, like, I love Twin Peaks, for all its lovely bits as well. But reading this book again reminded me that of how serious the show is in reality. What did you think about that page with all the... Um, like Laura writes this page about people she's uh, been with and it's a year before she dies. Obviously not everyone we know is on there. Uh, but there's all these initials, and I don't know if they've all been confirmed yet. What did you feel like when you read that? Because at that point, she was, what, 15 years old? Oh, yeah. It's pretty gutting. I was trying to, like... Definitely. Yeah, you, you kind of feel ill, like, just the number of it. And then I was trying to just sort of try and work out how many of these I actually know. Uh, did you pick up any when you read them? Obviously, B is pretty obvious. Um, I'll have to. I'll have to. The thing is that when I re-listened to the book, they were read out loud. Okay. So yeah. I, it's not like I've got a page of them in front of me. But as I was listening to them, I was trying to work out who they were. So I can't. I can't think of any any now. But a lot of them. A lot of the first few were the were characters we know. Definitely. I think uh, for certain, obviously, it's Bob, Bobby Briggs, Leo Johnson, Renette Pulaski, yeah. um, James Hurley, Jerry Horn. Um, they're the ones I sort of picked up. Also, someone's put uh, DL and MF. Do you know? DL and MF. Think about it. Oh. Yeah. 
wait, hold on. Maddie? What? Maddie no. Ferguson? Uh, no, David Lynch and Mark Frost. Oh. They had oh, the... no, I was thinking of characters. Yeah, no, they, they put themselves in there. Um, Do you think? Yeah, because there's BE as well, Bob Engels. Um, oh, wow. So maybe they were just coming up with initials. Yeah, like, oh, fuck it. Um, we did it as well. We were in there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow, I thought she slept with her cousin. No. That would be... One of the things I was actually surprised by was actually one of the entries talks about how... Um, let me just find it here. About how Maddie's 16 years old when Laura's 12. I don't know why. I just always assumed they were the same age. Well, yeah. Well, you assume that they're the same age because when she turns up, she looks like Laura. Yeah. <laughs> like exactly like her, but with a wig on. <laughs> yeah, weird. Like the same weird age as that. Laura. Weird that, that would, I know. they would look so much alike. And everyone's just like, what's... But Laura... <laughs> what <laughs> and you're like oh my god it's laura's twins so you just assume that they're weird like cousin twins yeah i guess so but it's like a four-year age gap do you think did you like retrospectively do you feel like that works the four-year age gap the thing i was thinking about the most is that obviously if maddie is 16 when laura's 12 and laura dies when yeah. she's 17 that makes Maddie, 21, 21, right? And she's like making out with James Hurley. Uh, Who is 18? I guess. It's not that. Not not too bad. I mean, it's James Hurley, though. So, you know. I mean, it's bad to make out with James Hurley at any age. (laughs) Oh, God. Never appropriate. It's never appropriate. Just you. Okay. I will murder you. Oh, my God. Um, How has this happened so early on? I mean, it's been an hour, about about an hour. It's not too bad. That is so early. It, it will always be early. <laughs> How did you feel like... Because obviously, like I was saying earlier, like it's a metaphor for perhaps rape, but also, even if... Because even if it is a demonic spirit, it still rapes Laura. So obviously, mm-hmm. the way you deal with that, and she represses her memories like... Early on in the diary, she starts talking as if it's just happening. But then we reveal she's repressed his memories from as early as 10 years old. Um, do you feel like her mental health was rapidly affected by this? So obviously of the re- repressed memories and the way she acts. Like, How do you think that affected her mental health? And how do you feel like Cooper and the gang reading this diary felt reading that? Oh my god, de- devastating on both ends. Devastating for her mental health, devastating to read. Because yeah. Obviously, yeah, obviously she got in the rough. Like how like yeah. how, how could it not how could it not affect you? You like is suppressing memories in any capacity for whatever reason is very damaging to your mental health. Because you have these feelings of anxiety that loom and linger and you don't know where they're coming from because you don't understand that something has happened to you and you've put it away. Like that you just, it's, it's extremely disturbing. It must be horrible for her. It must be horrendous. And then reading her explaining how awful it is, is awful to read. How could anybody not be affected by reading her diary? 
I feel like, yeah, as well, like, obviously when we go back and watch the episodes, it'll become more apparent, because I haven't seen the first, I haven't seen the episodes for about a year now. So mm. I'm, I'm just trying to remember how they process the diary in the first place, like, because she's pretty open about the situation there. Like, yeah. Do you think, obviously, Cooper reading this feels like she's had a mental breakdown? She's obviously been abused and hurt by this man called Bob. Like, because obviously, like you, ca- you can't immediately jump into the supernatural. I mean, Cooper's working a Blue Rose case, so there's there's elements of that, obviously. But even then, yeah, not all of these cases ended up officially being those Blue Rose cases. They could be just random off murders. So. I think if you're if you're if you're looking at the book from the perspective of somebody who's uh, been trained to deal with like violent crime and um, investigation and you know like he's he's in the FBI regardless of his Blue Rose project or any knowing of any kind of supernatural uh, thing. If you're reading the diary of somebody who is talking about being visited at night by a manifestation of evil, whether you believe that to be a manifestation of evil or not, your instinct is thinking, oh, this person has been hurt severely and is continuing to be hurt or is continuing to hurt themselves over whatever happened and is, yeah, very clearly having a mental breakdown or experiencing some prolonged form of abuse that they are understanding and compartmentalising in a way that is, (laughs) like, mildly schizophrenic or... Or just incredibly disturbed. So you, you would, there are definite clues, regardless of the supernatural elements. It's like, I think anybody reading it, you don't even have to be an FBI agent. I think you, you would read three or four pages or, uh, you know, a diary entry or two or three or four. And you think, oh my goodness, what's happening to this person? How do we make it stop? What are your thoughts on that no, sort I of think, idea, Emily? I think fairly similar to what Mickey was saying is you're not necessarily going to jump to the conclusion of oh it's this demonic supernatural force but you are you're reading the diary of of a really of a broken girl and I think your main thought would be Jesus why didn't anybody help her like, why didn't anybody see this? Yeah. Yeah, especially that, like, uh, one of the moments that made me really heartbroken was she so desperately wanted to fight and up and, like, try and defeat Bob. She goes to the place where he raped her and just strips naked and tries to fight back and there's nothing. And then she gets attacked by an owl afterwards. And it's just this whole sort of, you know, toying and manipulation. It's like, I just feel so awful that she ends up, like she mentions in the book, like everyone just sees her as the homecoming queen, the smiles a lot. But separately, everyone knew something wasn't completely right. Bobby knew something wasn't right. Donna knew something wasn't right. If only those people started talking to each other, you know, 
I just yeah, it's heartbreaking, right? Yeah, definitely. And especially that bit where she's talking about when getting her photo taken for Homecoming Queen. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, they all just uh, want to make me smile all the time. They want to see. They always want to see me smile or something. She says, and it's and then she's like upset because it's like, why don't they understand or see that some like things are happening? And it's true, like, but I, like, it's just a huge advertisement for <laughs> communication, if you know what I mean, like. Absolutely, yeah. Which is, which is really frustrating, because I feel like any time you hear of somebody you know going through a hard time, or somebody you know, I don't know, like, hurt themselves, or, you know, struggling, you think, there's always that thought that runs through your mind, like, oh god, you know, I noticed them, they didn't reply to my texts two weeks ago or like are they they were really rude to somebody or they asked, I thought they were going sort of out partying too much lately and you just think oh I don't know why I didn't say anything I don't know why I didn't ask anybody if they were all right I don't know why I didn't ask them if they were okay like that I, I just feel like that that's like a common thing and we should always reach out more to people we think are struggling and having a hard time in general but it's just it this is a really 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 awful ex- example yeah, and that image of Laura, the homecoming picture, it's the picture that we first see of yeah. her. Basically, throughout most of oh. the season, it's the only know, thing we have of so Laura, awful? and it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's a lie. It's a complete fabrication. But it makes it makes it more haunting, though, don't you think? Absolutely, yeah. And I feel like, like we sort of said earlier on in the episode, there's something both haunting but triumphant about that picture because like obviously like throughout the series and seeing her face and the season three opening and stuff it's haunting but the final moments of season three we see uh laura's mum stabbing that image with i think it's like a knife or a bit of glass and retrospectively when reading that bit in the book made me feel like if Laura's mum was possessed by Judy, this horrible influence that relates to Bob, and she's stabbing the picture out of anger, maybe Cooper did do something good. Like, maybe going back in time and saving her was the right thing. Because now she's out of her grasp. And now she has the opportunity to move forward. And mm. thinking about the final moments where... She screams. It just gave me this idea that maybe she's screaming because she remembers everything, but that might not necessarily be a bad thing. Like, she's back, she's out of it, but she has a a positive guiding influence next to her, as opposed to this horrible, you know, this horrible decaying, mass that's been following her her whole life especially like retrospectively like with with, uh, judy being the mum and bob being the father like the moments in the book where they're both pining over her separately and then sort of hiding away and acting very strangely yeah it's has that yeah like a horror feeling and it it reminds something i thought was kind of interesting as well was that there's a story Maddie tells early on in the book about 
horror story where uh, everyone in the house is like not who they say they are and are evil, which I think yeah. post season three has a new light to it. Definitely, definitely. As well, because the first time I read the book, when I read the entry about taking the homecoming picture, I immediately thought of the part where Leland comes to his senses and is grabbing the picture and, like, cracks it and he's crying and spreading blood over it. And it sort of, like, reminded me of, like, that's who Leland wanted. He wanted this happy daughter, this homecoming queen daughter, but, like, some part of him knew that he was helping destroy that, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I don't know, it just seemed really like, so it wasn't her, the real her, but it, it, he knew that as well. And it was sort of like, that's why it was so upsetting, and that's why he was, like, sort of, apart from the fact that she was dead as well, but, like, it, you know, it just sort of, like, adds to the... It just gave that more context. But you're right, listening back to the book this time... It, it reminded me of the Judy bit. And I was like, wow, this is so interesting. Like, I've been given almost, like, a completely different perspective on this whole section now. Like, season three had gave a lot of extra context. Yeah, and maybe, like you said, the repressed memories of Leland, um, like him smashing the photo and him playing the music and dealing with it. It's him dealing with his repressed memories. Maybe he's starting to realise what happened. Yeah, definitely. Um, and like you said, like there's moments where Laura gets taken hold of in both the show, the film, and this book. And by the time Leland kills Jacques, he's just completely gone. Like, that's Bob. Yeah. Pretty much taken over. Yeah, just covering his ass. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's just gross. I mean, um... Emily, was there anything else that really stood out for you in the book that you want to talk about? Like, perhaps any of our characters that were delved into? I thought... The, um... Okay, so... Laura gets this horse for her birthday. And she thinks it's from her dad, and her dad lets her think that it's action from Benjamin Horn. And I don't know, I just, I thought there was a fascinating, it's such a, it's like a smaller thing, but it's one that I found really interesting. Yeah. It's that whole idea of like, little girls loving ponies, that I think, like to me really was like, whoa, that's like a really odd fucking thing to get. Uh, 12 year old girl you that isn't your daughter like that's that's that to me was like example one of yeah. grooming that wasn't bob yeah if anything i was trying to figure out like the thought process there because i mean like the first thing that pops into your mind is obviously grooming um we know like a year before she dies she hasn't slept with him because it's not in the list of names. But clearly, you know, she's part of the store, she's doing this stuff. Um, the grooming and such. Do you think that obviously the horse stuff was 
him grooming a young girl that well, like that young? Well, I don't know because she didn't, it... she didn't find out until much, until later that it was from him. Yeah, because the only the only other thing I thought in my head was maybe he was because he knew that Laura was friends with Donna, right? Like, pres- yeah. Presumably, it's a small town, and then all that sort of thing. I just thought perhaps maybe it was a way of trying to like, have that sort of relationship with Donna and like get Donna a pony. Then what are you doing, getting Laura one? Well, but, like, it makes no. no sense to me. Uh, Haywards wouldn't have accepted it. Haywards, yeah. Mm. I don't know, man. Like I have, like my dad has really good friends who have known me since I was a kid, and <laughs> not one of them would have ever found it appropriate no, to give me presents shit. like that. It is. It fucking is weird so shit. weird. It is so weird, and I think, I think. Leland not once being like, "Hey, mate, do you want to tell me why you're getting my daughter a pony?" Uh, the, like that, I, I just don't yeah, understand no, why always, a father like, would let it was weird to, his friend yeah, oh, sorry, do no. that. To be fair, though, I said to be fair though, Leland, I don't think it's the best example of <laughs> a good father. Yeah, no, 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 I agree, but there are elements. There are moments of him being decent. Like, he's not a horrible person when he's Leland. True. You know what I mean? Like, not 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 fully. Like, obviously he's horrendous when he's Bob, but... But, oh, spoiler. No, I think, um, I think Leland is actually like, <laughs> one of but, the most tragic Twin Peaks characters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Definitely. obviously, he was raped himself, yeah. right? As a little boy. Yeah. Which, I guess, like we said with Laura, I wonder how he dealt with that from a mental point of view. Oh, I, he absolutely didn't. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. That's how Bob was able to, like, stay within him this whole time. It's just feeding off him. Yeah. So maybe he just assumed that sort of behavior from Ben was normal. Yeah, I don't know. It's still a weird thing for Ben to do. It's not like his kids were even friends. It's not like, you know, what I mean, like I don't know. Like I, I know what you're saying about trying to make sort of any kind of connection with Donna. Yeah. I. That, by the way, I'm not saying that's that's like just a random. No, 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 random no, no, no. I know. Process, I know. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. But and and, and I, I get it. And that's like. When, one explanation but i just don't you know see what? that as like i wonder making sense and it, it actually would make i wonder if that was that was always the plan in terms of m- maybe maybe originally it was going to be that benjamin was laura's father Because we find that out in season two, right? That's interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah about Donald. It ends with him getting yeah. like yeah. brain. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I wonder if maybe originally that wasn't going to be how that storyline went. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Potentially. I, I always felt like that Fred and a lot of the other ones weren't really particularly going to appear in the show originally and were just, hey, we should make a season three. There's a bank explosion. There's a dad reveal. What happens next? Find out if you renew us. <laughs> um, and it was more like just thrown out there as opposed to Laura having that dad. And I'm, I mean, it's not like she would have got out of the whole <laughs> like abused by the parent thing if that was the case. Uh, no, actually, it um, makes. I mean, it would certainly make the the stuff that happened with with Benjamin even more fucked up. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure. One but two dads she slept with now. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. But it was really annoying to me just because it, it's such a it's such an odd thread in the book. Yeah. yeah. I feel. I feel like. I think. Sorry, you go, Mickey. Oh no 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 no! You go. Why? Oh, thank you. Um, I think it's a mixture of both contextually. It was before season two, so it's to throw you off and to be like, could Ben have done it? But also, it's a bit of, these guys are kind like, everyone in the town, men in particular, are <laughs> yeah. kind of weird. And uh, That's true, the, the Benjamin-Leland friendship was a weird one. I just think like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe as well, it's like, perhaps maybe it's like, you know, Leland's his lawyer. It's not too strange to have, like, a familiar relationship with the family. Like, they have dinners together and stuff. It's a small town. Um, to get, like, pre- like you know, well done. You got me off. So, like, the price of a of a horse or a pony yeah. is, is, not, is not dissimilar to buying a car. Yeah, they're like, exactly. They're quite expensive, and I think it's safe to say that in general life, when you buy somebody such an immensely expensive gift, it's a show of power of some kind. Yeah, it's either like if your dad gets you something that big, it's like, hey, look how much bread I'm winning for the family. I've got this great job here. Have this because I love you. You're great. If it's somebody random however they're connected to you, who's not an immediate family member, who's buying you a present that is equivalent to purchasing you a car at the age of 12. Like, what is that saying? What does that say? Like, that's such a a weird show of power. That's a power play, somehow. Yeah. Maybe it's like a, a play over Leland. Like, maybe he couldn't afford a good present maybe for Laura. Maybe he's a play over Leland. Yeah, who knows? Maybe he's like... Yeah, like Leland you know, went to his I'll boss just, and was like... You know, I'll just buy your kid. I'll buy your kid a pony, whatever. Yeah, don't worry about Stick it. Stick with me, kid. Because afterwards, he seems pretty stressed out at work, right? Yeah. Like, more so than usual. So maybe it's like, you know... I, I bought this for your kid. Like, you can save up for it. With your next few ages, don't fucking worry about weird, it. Man, it's just <laughs> fucking weird. Yeah, even if it was, even if it was like, hey, I know you can't afford to get her a pony, and she really wants a pony. I'll buy it for you, and we'll take it out monthly from your wage packet, whatever. Yeah, that's still a show of power. That's yeah. still a power play. 
that's still an ownership of some kind. And I just think the whole idea of him buying a pony for Laura, whether it be for Leland technically or for Laura herself, then it's it's fucking weird and it's and it's an odd um, extra addition to Ben's personality that like I won't be able to shake now. I'm always going to be thinking, <laughs> why the fuck did you buy that pony? Like, I'm always going to be thinking, what was your motivation? What were you doing? What were you thinking? She's 12 years old. What? I would... <laughs> I'm just really, it's really frustrating. Like, my niece is eight now. And so that's not... That's like four years off 12. I would never... I love her with my whole heart. She's my blood. I would never buy her a car nor a pony. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or anything bigger than maybe like I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I just. It's just, and I. She's my family. You know what I mean? He's too far removed. It makes no sense anyway. We're talking about the pony too much. I'm too obsessed about it. No, I think it's it a, gross to me. It's a fair point. I think as well. Like, to play devil's advocate here. This is also the same guy that can, who weirdly eats sandwiches disgustingly and also had a mental breakdown and tried to win the Civil War at the South. So maybe he's not the most, um, you know. Well, <laughs> person? True. Yeah. I think that's a good way of putting okay. it. Fair point. He's not well. <laughs> what, were your, what were your thoughts on the death of the pony? Oh, it was so disturbing. I'm still trying to process that. Like, is it is it trying to suggest that Laura did it? Well, I don't think it was trying to suggest the Laura did it, but it was sort of like she's still responsible for it. Yeah. Because she got the pony go. She drove the pony off. Yeah, I was trying to. And I think it was a sort of like. Even it, it's I'm gonna fuck up the things you love no matter what. Kinda, yeah, I get your point. Like you can't the, you can't save them no matter what you do. I was trying to because obviously early on in the book she mentions that she had this bad premonition that the pony will die one day, and Donna's like, "Wow, you're so negative." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, guess what? It happens." Um. I was just trying to process whether it was Laura, like, th- like gradually she getting more darker, and she ends up doing this heinous thing to something she loves, or the more disturbing but more visual thought in my head, which was crazy-eyed Leland, like murdering a pony. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. That's the, vi- that's I mean, the visual I, I had in my I head. I hadn't thought about the visual of that. Even though, like, obviously thought, well, Bob did this, but I didn't. Yeah. I didn't think about the fact that physically that would mean Leland to like beating a pony to death. Yeah. I mean, it's not out of his league, is it? Really? No, but it's really, it's really like viscerally disturbing. Yeah, I suppose so. I think as well, like. What I found interesting about the pony and the horses in general 
is obviously the major image we see of Laura when she dis- like, um, ascends. Yeah. Is the white horse. And um, do you think that ties into that sort of, you know, the, the pony and such? Like, it's such a positive influence on her and um, ends up taking her to a better place, I guess. I don't like sorry I <laughs> know you go sorry okay I was just like I like the idea that one of the good things that she did that did make her happy came back for her in a sense um, or was embodied by the, the light was embodied by that sort of ideal <laughs> that's it I just yeah I don't know I've just gone back to what listening to the book again this time about the whole horse thing really took me back to the to the guy in season 3 who was saying that really horrendous uh, rhyme you know like the horse is the white of the eyes and the darkness within yeah. Oh God, I forgot about that. And, and so, like, that's what I love about going back and listening or reading the book again this time, given the extra context we've been handed through season three. It's just that this, this uh, horrible, what was he the, the the smoker guy, who's yeah. Yeah, I guess as well got a light, like the idea that smoking and drugs and all these bad habits are all influenced by the same sort of negative like sources like every time i anything to do with twin peaks i always come back to that main quote from um miguel ferrer in the show and it's you know maybe bob is the evil that all men do and you know like smoking what comes into your head smoking like gray black cancerous and then like white um, horse is you know that whole the, like that cocaine symbolism and like you know white powder, the white horse of death. Yeah. I mean, there's all and t- before season three, and before like if you discount theories about Secret Diary of Laura Palmer when people were just trying to work out what that horse meant when um, when Sarah was seeing the horse. Um. Yeah, yeah. Lots of, lots of people were coming up with all different kinds of symbols that it means. But the fact that she had a pony—does it say anywhere that it's white in the diary? Oh, it's, it's brown, it's brown okay. I believe. Because it would be. But even then, it's like a, a heavenly representation yeah, maybe. or an embodiment know, of light. Just, but then, even then, just, the dark yeah. of the eyes has a sort of more I don't know this time because didn't I think I've, I read somewhere online that Carrie Carrie Page in season three had a horseshoe necklace that I didn't notice at the time yeah when I watched it um but and also there was a ceramic white horse in her apartment that you can see through the door um yeah. there was just a lot of horse references in season three that I was reminded of when I read the book again 
And it was just, I don't know, it was just another cool thing of like, oh man, maybe this means so much more than we realised. Yeah, absolutely. Like the whole sort of idea, like, there's obviously a link <laughs> um, between. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> between Laura and Carrie, and, you know, the idea that maybe Laura did manage to survive. I actually, when I was reading the book as well, just to quickly delve off talking about Maddie, like, mm-hmm. I was. Because obviously, like, you get this indication of the character and like her family and her parents and I mean I'm still interested about what they must have thought she hasn't come back on the bus yet um <laughs> maybe we should ring up the uh, oh what's that oh she's dead okay yeah we won't come over um we'll just stay here like but then I was just thinking like you know how like obviously when you think of Maddie the automatic thought process is like her horrible death scene but now, retrospectively, if Laura doesn't die, and, you know, what happens to Maddie? Well, she... she well, I should think there? so, because she only comes because Laura's dead, right? She only comes because Sarah's having a horrible yeah. time dealing with the death of Laura, struggling to take care of herself, and Leland's gone off his rocker apparently so Maddie turns up to help take care of her aunt so presumably if Laura doesn't die then Sarah hasn't got anything that she's in air quotes dealing with although we all know deep inside she's housing a Judy (laughs) Um, there would be no reason for Maddie to (laughs) just randomly turn up unless obviously Laura's missing unless she's missing yeah the thing is though like bringing making sure Laura didn't die doesn't doesn't stop all of the things that happened to Laura from happening they still happened she just doesn't die so no I of guess course Cooper is giving yeah. her well oh, I don't know does Laura the bigger question is what does Laura do with the fact that she doesn't die. Does she then tell the world about Leland because Leland won't be dead and he'll still be Bob? Like, does she get him arrested or does she try and kill him? Or does she... Like, it depends on what happens if she survives that night. I think according... Um, I haven't read the book itself yet and um, you don't mind me talking about the the final dossier, do you? I haven't read it yet. Okay, so you don't want me to say anything? <laughs> I don't. Okay, then I shall <laughs> ignore that bit. I have this thing where I don't like things to end. And so I got that because I pre-ordered that book on Amazon. And I yeah. got it the day it came out. But once I read it, there's no more Twin Peaks. I, get I don't you. think that's true. As somebody who's read it. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. Anyway, I think I think we'll probably get more. Oh, it says Mark Frost apparently just conf- like has confirmed that Maddie would have survived. So there you go. Those glasses remain alive. Hooray. Those beautiful red glasses. Yeah. Hooray I would like fashion. to know what um, Laura would do with her night of survival. Well, so far we know that she screams. <laughs> um. 
And that's pretty much. I don't, yeah, I'm not sure what. Be interesting. What happened? Find out in season four. <laughs> Obviously, like the town is so different as well. Like how. Like are certain couples together still? Like how does everything play? If you go back to your big ad and Norma thing again, I'm going to be really pissed at you. I was actually thinking more about Bobby and uh, like Shelley. Like, would they still be? T- were they happy? Like, were they fine? Because what happened to Leo? You know, what Leo happened to Hank? Leo was still alive. They could still be alive. Because he wasn't even in the town, right? Oh no, he was. No, he was there. But then, yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's what I mean. But if Leo. But again, like we're ta- but once you fuck around with the past, yeah, shit, dinosaurs turn up. All sorts of things happen. Emily has a good exactly. time. <laughs> <laughs> Leo gets eaten by a T Rex. That's I don't I don't know what the what how that trace is there, but that's what listen. Happens. Lynch will make it happen. He gets eaten by don't a you worry about it. <laughs> we'll probably find a T Rex in the cave. Out in the woods. All the symbols drawn yeah, everywhere. They push a bit of rock and a dinosaur comes out. Okay. Sounds amazing. Is that what you want to end on? Yeah, man, if we're ending. <laughs> yeah. The, a dinosaur theory. I mean, not uh, <laughs> I just meant, like, you personally, like, you, you want to put your whole Twin Peaks sort of theory out there on a dinosaur To sum cave. it up, they find a dinosaur in the woods, so Emily's happy. Well, here's one more thing I just want to talk about before we end. Um, like we mentioned before, the, uh, the missing pieces delves into um, the log lady's history, and we know that obviously um, she was part of like the scouting group, and they went into the forest, into the woods, yeah, and she was kidnapped, right? Yes. Well, this is a segment that really stood out to me, which I thought was interesting because this book is from 1990, and retrospectively, obviously, the missing pieces came out in 2016, right? So, I was just interested about what you thought about this segment, what the log lady says. Um, other times, the woods are a place for other creatures to be, and it is not for us. She said that sometimes people go camping and learn things they shouldn't. Children are prey sometimes. I think that's how she said Children it. Children are prey sometimes. Yeah. Like, I just like this horrifying idea like she's sort yeah. of confiding in Laura like she can see someone obviously she was very young at the same time like when she got kidnapped by these horrible god knows what and we don't know what happened we don't know the experiences we don't know if it was UFOs <laughs> you know but still well, it's no surprise that Log Lady is full of knowledge because that seems to be the case with Log Lady at all times she is incredible. Um, yeah. And she... It's not... It's not unknown to us that she has some sort of extra knowledge or extra experience or some kind of extra sense, maybe, of these more supernatural things. She has this... Whether it be her log talking to her or whether it's just that she knows things, she always is aware of... She's always trying to pass on information that she thinks is going to help. And I think that's probably what she was she was trying to do there. Yeah, exactly. 
so it's interesting. I like her use of the word prey as well because that insinuates a hunt of some kind. Yeah, sort of stalking. Uh, or stalking, yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, even for owls, like their food is prey. Exactly, yeah. That's a sort of idea I've got as well. I don't know, it's just, it's just it's, yeah, it's just like a really yeah. good choice of word. Well, I think that's all we've got time for this week. Um, delving into the diary of Laura Palmer. Um, it's interesting to go like go through this whole chronologically, but still with like having a wide map of everything we know about the show and sort of you know applying our knowledge there. It's been fun talking to you guys again. Obviously, um, let's plug our stuff, Mickey. Why don't you go first? Cool. Well, I just hang out online and talk about Twin Peaks most of the time or horror films. I go to a lot of screenings, do a lot of reviews, so if you're interested in any of that, follow me on Twitter at Mickey Ralph. Um, that's about it. Oh, I do a K-pop radio show on Tuesday nights in the UK. I usually tweet out a link if anyone's interested. <laughs> so just, yeah, follow me on Twitter. That's what I'm about. Emily? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at EFLind. Uh, if you want to hear me blather on about more things, I do a Star Wars-centric podcast called The Cantobite Dispatch, and I do a Star Trek podcast called He's Dead Jim, where we are going through uh, the episodes of the original series, one episode at a time. And you can find Whoa. those. You can find those on iTunes and SoundCloud and all of those places. That sounds really cool. <laughs> Mickey, can I have you just walking around whenever just to go, whoa, anything I say? <laughs> I didn't say I'll pay you, you did I? I said it at Emily. Emily's got cool stuff going on. <laughs> yes, you can pay me. <sighs> my, rate is, my rate is very high. <laughs> okay. Um, you can find me on Twitter at CMWASHPY, where I talk about Twin Peaks, Star Wars, and other nonsense that you'll probably like. Or not, Whoa. you know, I'm not making you do anything. That's 20 quid. Should we should we maybe talk a little bit about where we're going from here? I was just about to ask that. That's a good question, Emily. Yes. Well done. Can I finish plugging though first? Oh, okay. No. Uh... I didn't realise you had more <laughs> things to plug. Uh, yeah, I have a other podcast called the Imperial Center Podcast, which is about Star Wars. And yeah, it's pretty good. We got a, f- a few five star reviews, which you know, <laughs> confidence part. Do you know what? The energy's gone. The energy's gone from the the fake wall. <laughs> the interruption. <laughs> go, go on. You, you go talk about your lead up. Oh my god. <laughs> I like your podcast. Great that, Charlie. podcast, Charlie. Good. That sounds amazing. <laughs> anyway, so what are we doing next week? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I believe. Firewall um, me. So we can either dive straight into the film or go to episode. Yeah. See, this is the conflicting thing. Do we go into Firewalk with me or do we go into episode one? I personally think episode one because. or the pilot. Because I feel like there's too many sequel threads in Firewalk with me 
that I consider it personally a sequel to the final episode? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I go episode. I go episode one. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Let's do that. Okay then. So join us next time where we delve into Twin Peaks, the pilot, and um, we it's like entering the town once over again. It's going to be special. So find us there. We're also part of the NSFW podcast network. That's not Safa work. So find us on there. We'll give you a few bit, bits more information later on. We'll also have our back catalogue, so season one will be available, hopefully, to listen to. Um, so if you want to catch up and find out who we are, do it there. Hey! That's all we... Yeah, hey! Um, <laughs> that's all we have time for right now. It's another but 20 quid, come... Charlie. I don't do it for free. Sorry? It's another 20 quid, mate. I don't do it for free. I... 20 quid. <laughs> that's a bit much. I'll um, email you my PayPal have... later. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mickey. Um, we'll be back next time to delve deeper into the woods to solve the mystery of Twin Peaks. Good night, Pickies. Hello, I stand. Hello, I stand. Hello.